Welcome back to Carlisle's Insights and Indicators podcast, where our head of global research, Jason Thomas, shares his insights and opinions based on our composite portfolio data and analysis of recent government reports. All of the data that we discussed today is accurate as of the recording of August 2nd, 2022. Jason, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me again. We'll begin with a recent U.S. Commerce Department report. They recently estimated that the U.S. economy contracted by nine-tenths of a percentage point in Q2 on an annualized basis, and this follows a contraction as well on an annualized basis in Q1. Jason, the case can be made that we're in a recession. Do you buy this case or not? Well, first, I I think it's important to note that when we think of recession, we, we think of you know, really a downturn in business activity, a fall in, in revenues. And in fact, what the Commerce Department report shows is that actually business revenues, final sales, uh, increased at an annualized rate of 10% in the second quarter of, of 2022. Uh, this compares uh, to a 12.3% annual increase in year-over-year sales on average among U.S. public companies that have thus far reported their Q2 results. So this is a period of very, very robust revenue growth. The issue, of course, is that most of that revenue growth now is attributable to price increases. And so these estimates are based on real activity, which is, of course, adjusting for inflation. And if you strip out inflation, if you strip out price increases, uh, business sales increased uh, at an annualized rate of about 1.1% in Q2. So still positive, uh, but but of course, uh, relatively weak, something that, that we had observed. I, I would say a, a couple of things about this. First, this is very unlikely to be classified as a recession by the National Bureau of Economic Research and their Business Cycle Dating Committee, which is the official arbiters here. And that's largely because output-based measures of the economy, essentially surveys of how much goods and services businesses produced was actually up during the quarter. And this is also reflected in the very strong uh, payroll employment growth recorded in, in Q2. And, and so it's unlikely, given these, these discrepant uh, measures, they, the Commerce Department, of course, bases their estimate on expenditures in the economy, consumption, investment, government, and then net exports. But based on these discrepant measures, it's unlikely they will classify it as a recession. But, but obviously, you know, as we know, the impact of, of high prices, the, this inflation, the increase in revenues attributable to prices means that a large and growing share of households have experienced a very sizable decline in purchasing power. Just buying the same amount of things costs more. So you know, while, while certainly uh, good for business revenue in the short run, it does create problems down the road. And, and I think that this negative real income shock is something that is is the main driver of, of the overall slowdown in activity that we've observed. Jason, let's go into a few of the components of U.S. consumer spending. While our index of discretionary goods sales has been trending downward since April, you previously said spending on experiences was resilient. Is that still the case? Well, it has been it has been resilient. Uh, travel, tourism, live events, dining out, all of these experiences, spending these services, social services, however one wants to uh, to categorize them, those areas of spending that were most impacted negatively by the pandemic, 
are still very strong. The issue is that the growth rate has slowed. The growth rate here, I think, again, it slowed because prices of hotel stays had risen so dramatically. Airfares had risen so dramatically. Certainly, you saw a a big increase in menu prices uh, at restaurants. And then, of course, this is also on top of the food and fuel price increases that have diminished uh, disposable income in many households. So as a result, you have the level of activity at, at airports uh, in hotels. In fact, hotel bookings, if you look at the, the occupancy rates, are, are still very high. It's just that there's no longer that incremental growth there to offset the outright declines that we see in good spending. So as a result, total consumption growth uh, on a trend basis in the U.S. is now much closer to zero uh, than had been the case in prior months when, when as you said, the decline in goods spending, particularly durable goods spending, had been offset by, at that time, very, very rapid growth in in experiences. Again, travel, tourism, live events, dining out. Jason, let's now cross the Atlantic from the U.S. and turn our attention to Europe. What nuggets did you pull out of our composite portfolio data related to Europe? Well, I I would say first, it was a good month in Europe. Uh, when, When you look at foot traffic data, when we looked at just total spending from the consumer. Uh, and, and I think it, much of it is, is related to the, the summer holiday. I think you look at relative outperformance of Italy and Spain, that, that is, that's also you know, Southern Europe doing very well in the summer, no surprise, given all of the tourists that are flocking there. I think a lot of this is probably foreign tourists, perhaps also from the United States, who hadn't been able to uh, perhaps go to Europe or, or had complications going to Europe over the last two years of pandemic. But on the whole, the European economy clearly expanded in July, and, and this is very encouraging. However, I think that the optimism from, the, from those data have to be tempered somewhat by what was very clearly a deterioration in the energy situation, as the amount of natural gas uh, that arrives in Europe uh, via pipeline from Russia has declined. And now you have the risk not only of, of much higher prices, and if you look at year forward electricity prices in much of Europe, it's seven to eight times what was paid in 2019, but, but not only higher prices, but actually the, the risk of outright volumetric shortfalls in natural gas. And, and so this is, I think, the main concern. I think there are a lot of ways, certainly, to, to address it, to deal with it. Some of that is, is just to conserve more gas today so that more of it remains underground in storage. So, so that gas remains when it's needed uh, for, for heat, mostly in, in the winter, in the, in the fourth quarter of this year, the first quarter of 2023. But I think it is going to be a challenge. And, and I think that this is going to be especially the case for the portions of the industrial sector that require gas as a feedstock, uh, which, which, of course, is chemicals and, and um, using natural gas to, to make fertilizer. And, and then also for those industrial processes that use gas for high heat which things like metallurgy and, and ceramics and, and glass. And, you know, in, in these cases, for a lot of these companies, there is the ability to switch production elsewhere. So, so there's, there's no reason to suspect that they actually won't be able to meet orders or, or operations. And, and there is also the ability to switch fuels. And, and in some cases, and at least for a feedstock, switch to things like green ammonia and, and, and other inputs. So, so there are solutions uh, but, but again, they, they are complicated, and, and it's one of those circumstances where the sooner these adjustments start to occur, the, the less likelihood of, of more severe disruption down the road. 
Thank you, Jason. Let's conclude with your outlook for China. There seems to be a number of, when you read the recent news articles and looking at the prognostications of different economists, there seems to be many differing opinions on the outlook for China. What is your opinion on the outlook for China for the remainder of the year? Well, <laughs> that that's that's very complicated. I, I can just tell you what we saw this month, and, and hopefully that, that will provide some guidance. So first, I, I would say that we did see a rebound in total sales uh, across, you know, we have a retail network, about 4,000 locations, and, and we look at a fixed sample each month and, and to observe those trends, relate them to overall consumption uh, in, in China. And, and we saw a very sizable increase in spending, about 14% increase in July of, of 2022 relative to the July of, of 2021. So, so that's great. Because, you know, as we've talked previously, we saw a very severe contraction in March, April, and May of this year. June was more of a flat month. So, so it's nice to see a bounce back. Foot traffic was still depressed. And, and it seems as though the dynamic zero COVID policy and some of the quarantine rules have made uh, people a little bit less inclined to go out because of uh, issues with, um, you know, potentially testing positive or actually being a close contact or, you know, that that may restrict movement. So, so foot traffic still has not recovered, but it was nice to see sales pick up. And then we also saw about a 17 or 18 percent increase in, in cargo throughput volumes th- through the, the, the networks that we follow uh, in the portfolio. And, and that was very uh, encouraging. And, and then we also saw that that contributed to a fairly sizable drop in port congestion. So a lot of the containers had been offloaded and some of the the measures of of port congestion, ships in port, those sorts of things had come down pretty substantially during the course of July. So so good news for downstream supply chains, uh, good news for for broader GDP growth. The issue, uh, and and others have have highlighted this, is that we did see uh, a big decline in floor space deliveries. So, so the sales of, of new floor space in terms of the square meters that are actually contracted and sold uh, declined very substantially relative to year ago levels, uh, down about 38%. And that is part of an ongoing effort uh, that is well thought out uh, and, and intentional to reduce the size of the residential construction sector. It's simply too large as a share of the economy. It consumes too large a share of societal resources. Uh, for a time, you know, when, when uh, China was in the process of uh, facilitating the movement of hundreds of millions of people from the countryside to cities, they needed to have a very large construction sector to build the apartment buildings and dwellings uh, that, that people needed to live. Now that the demographic realities have shifted, there's simply no longer the need for this large of a construction sector. And also, as, as China's aims in terms of uh, taking the next step up in terms of value added, in terms of high-tech ambitions, the, the savings, the finite savings that are go channeled into construction activity could now be better used to fund commercial and industrial loans, again, to finance a high-tech future, to, to finance other uh, types of, of more productive investments. So again, I, I just do want to emphasize that although the, the situation in, in the property sector 
uh, certainly is is um, disturbing given the, given the numbers that that we see. It is something that is it's part of a plan. It's not unexpected. It's not random. It's not you know something that is arriving out of the blue. And so the question going forward, I think, is really just what is the the sort of care, the sort of attention, and, and really just what sort of guardrails authorities are going to put on. In, in this space to ensure that they achieve their goal of shrinking the sector, again, freeing up resources to go to more productive uses, but then w- with, without doing so in a way that actually leads to, to more uh, economic damage in the form of uh, defaults, the form of losses that spill over into the banking sector, and then, then also, of course, uh, the impacts on consumers as the, the value of their properties declines. So, so it's, it's certainly a, going to be complicated. But, but I do, I have faith in policymakers, and, and I'm especially encouraged uh, knowing how intentional much of the, this, this policy approach is. Jason, as usual, thank you for the economic trip around the world. I know all of our investors listening appreciate it. And we really look forward next month when we get some more insights on some of the hypotheses and observations around our potentially recessionary environment and other indicators that you're looking at. Uh, So thanks for the time today and really looking forward to next month. Great. Well, thanks again.